Anyways, um, I hope all of us have notes. If you do, we're going to continue talking about, what is it? Shadows of Golgotha. We're in the book of Leviticus. We're in the book of Leviticus. What is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're in the book of Leviticus, and we have arrived to chapter 2. And again, what we have been doing is we're going over the Old Testament, trying to find pictures of the cross, picture of the Jesus crucified throughout the Old Testament. Again, I want to show you guys, hopefully, after we finish this, that the cross is the focal point of God's plan toward humanity from all eternity till all eternity. Today, we're going to talk about the meal or the grain offering, which is Leviticus chapter 2. Now, this offering will be an exception to what we have been talking about because it is not really a type of Christ crucified. It's a type of Christ, the one who pleased God with his life rather than his death. That's the focus of this offering. But, you know, I mean, since we're talking about the offering, let's just go through it. We're not going to miss this one. So this way we have some continuity here, but this one will be a little bit off-center, okay? But um, turn your Bibles with me to Leviticus 2 or read with me in the notes. We're going to read the law of the meal or the grain offering. Here is what the Lord told uh, Moses. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour, okay? They are to pour olive oil on it, Put frankincense on it and make it to Aaron's son uh, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial proportion on the altar, a food offering. If you guys remember the term food offering, we talked about that last week. Literally, the Hebrew says a burned offering, like something that you burn with fire. Uh, some translation has a food offering. We talked about this. Because I think when Manoah, um, um, Samson's father, saw the, the angel of the Lord and offered him food, fire came down. That might be the reason why they call it food offering. But then it says it's an aroma pleasing unto the Lord. The rest of the green offering belongs to Aaron and his son. It is the most holy part of the food offering presented to the Lord. So let's pause here for a second. We know this is really simple. It's, it's, there's no blood in this sacrifice, okay? There's no animals being slaughtered. All what they do is bring the finest flour, mix it or put on it some olive oil, and just kind of, I think they make a dough out of that and put some frankincense on it. So this is only three ingredients in it, okay? And then they take some of that, put it on the altar, burn it before the Lord, but the rest, Aaron and his children will participate in. So, so far, do you see that, so... A couple of differences so far between this and the burnt offering. The burnt offering has blood. This one doesn't have blood, right? The burnt offering was all offered to God. Aaron and the priest will share nothing in it. But the grain offering here, the meal offering, actually, God takes part of it. And the priest will take part of it, okay? Now, verse 4. If you bring the grain offering baked in oven, there's three ways they kind of can cook it. Number one, they can bake it in the oven. Um, it is um, to be consistent with the finest flour, either either thick loaves made without yeast and without with olive oil mixed, or a thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Now, if your grain offering of prepared on the griddle, 
It is to be made of the finest flour mixed with oil and without yeast. Verse 6, um, crumb, uh, crumble it and pour oil on it. It's a green offering. Now, number the third kind, the third kind of baking or heating. If your green offering is cooked in a, a pan, like a frying pan, this is to be made of the finest flour and some olive oil. Bring the green offering made of these things to the Lord, present it to the priest, and he shall take Take it to the altar. He shall take out uh, the memorial portion of the green offering from the green offering and burn it on the altar as a food offering, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the green offering belonged to Aaron and his son. It is a most holy part of the food offering pre presented to the Lord. Again, very simple here. There's three ways to heat this offering or put it through the fire, bake it in three different ways. But there's common thread. They all have to have finest flour, right? They all have to have olive oil, and none of them should have yeast. This is pretty much the common thread in all these offerings, okay? It doesn't matter how you bake it. This is pretty much the standard of the, all these offerings. And once it's baked, they bring it to the priest. He takes portion, burn it to the Lord as this is God's portion, and then Aaron and his sons will take the rest of it. You guys follow me? Now verse 11. Every uh, grain offering you bring to the Lord must be made without uh, yeast. The, so verse 11, kind of God, God is repeating himself to emphasize his point, okay? Again, no yeast. It doesn't matter what kind of grain offering you bring. It does has, has to be made no yeast. For you are not to burn any yeast or honey in a food offering presented to the Lord. So two things are forbidden. It doesn't matter how what kind of offering you bring in as a grain offering, no Yeast and no honey. Follow me? You may bring them to the Lord um, as an offering. Uh, you may bring them to the Lord as an offering of the first fruit, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. Season all your... So if you bring some of the first fruit, don't burn that. Verse 13. Season all your grain offering with the salt okay do not leave the salt of the covenant of your god out of your grain offering you guys do you see that god is saying you have to do it this is not an option not to do add salt to your offering do you see that verse 13 is like god is saying the same thing three times right he's, he's he's repeating himself one two three because this is very important to god so he's emphasizing it three times Verse 14, if you bring a grain offering of first fruit to the Lord, offer crushed head of new grains roasted in the fire. Verse 15, put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and oil together with all the incense as a food offering presented to the Lord. So that's a different kind of offering. If you want to bring the first fruit, just bring the grain, crush it, roast it in fire, Put the oil and the incense on it, offer God's portion, and then the priest will have the rest of it, okay? So that's pretty much the law of the grain offering. Now let's dig deeper into all these details and see how this grain offering is a sweet-smelling aroma to God and how is that a representation of Christ who also pleased the Lord in what he did. Amen? You guys remember what we said that there's three offering that we have the phrase sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, right? What are they? The first one is the burned offering. Talked about that. Number two is right here, the, the grain offering, the meal offering. And number three is the peace offering that we're talking about next week, Lord's Welling. But the two that we don't see 
the phrase sweet smelling aroma to the Lord are the sin offering and the trespass offering. Yeah, so if we finish these sacrifices in five, six weeks, there's some like maybe 10 information, 10 pieces of information that you have to get. This is just the very basics that help you later on to read by yourself and, and, and get it, okay? So know which one is sweet smelling aroma, know which one isn't. So this one today is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. The only difference between it and the burnt offering here is that actually Aaron the priest and his children can participate in it unlike the, uh, the burnt offering, okay? So a few notes here. Number one, the meal offering stand apart from everything else because it has no blood in it, right? That's the only sacrifice in the five that there is no blood shed. So it doesn't speak more about the cross. It rather speaks more about the life of Christ, how Jesus lived the perfect, pleasing life that God could ever imagine or hope for, and Jesus was pleasing to God in every single thing he said, every single thing he did, and even every thought he has, everything he did was pleasing to God. Good? So that's what the meal offering represents, Christ who pleased God in his life. Number two, note number two. The meal offering always in the Bible is considered in connection with the burnt offering. Many times we read about these two together, kind of like goes hand in hand. I mentioned a couple of examples here. Um, Leviticus 23, uh, 12 to 13, and then 18, Leviticus 28, Judges 13. Multiple incidents in the scripture where we read about the grain offering in connection to the burned offering. One particular um, obvious and important example is we read about in Exodus 29, 39 to 41. Remember we said that the burned offering, there is one that has to be burned in the morning and one has to be burned in the evening, right? And there is 24 hours fire burning on that burnt offering before the Lord. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 29, verses 39 to 41, we see that God is commanding Moses that with every morning and evening burnt offering, there has to be also a grain offering associated with it. You guys see that? Like when you go read it, you'll find that. So... Again, the scripture is pretty clear here that there is a massive connection between the grain offering and the burnt offering. What is the lesson we learned from that? The lesson is we cannot separate the life that Jesus lived, which is pleasing to God, from his death on the cross that was also pleasing to God. Amen? His life as somebody who pleased God in everything is so connected, is so um, hooked up with his death so much, you cannot distinct the two from each other. Amen? His life and his death, he pleased God in both, and they're just so connected together. Amen? Amen. Note number three. Again, this is more bullet points. Um, I didn't know how else to go about it. So, three ingredients we see has to be offered in this grain offering, right? Number one has to be fine flour, Number two, there is oil. And number three, there is a frankincense or, you know, some perfume. So three ingredients that um, this grain offering has to be, um, has to include to be represented to God. And each one of them kind of a picture of the life of Jesus in a way. How? Let's start. The fine flower represent Christ who had no coarseness in him. The fine flowers, like all the granules are so symmetrical. There is no coarseness in it at all. It's just perfect symmetry. That's what the fine flower is. 
And that represents the humanity of Jesus, his life here on earth, and how in every single aspect of his humanity, he was perfect, he was sinless, he was complete before God. Amen? There is not a single aspect of his life that was chorus a little bit before God or not a little bit not pleasing to God. Amen? In every single aspect, from every single angle, everything about Jesus was perfect and pleasing to God. John 8, 29. We just read that verse, Barb and uh, Cindy and myself, last Bible study. John 8, 29. Jesus said this, I do what? Always, Always those things that pleases him. How many of us can say that exact same phrase? I don't. Can anybody here claim that? Nobody can. Amen? It doesn't matter how much you love God. Nobody can stand and say, I always do what is pleasing God. Amen? There's only one person who walked our earth who stood and not just said it to himself while he's, you know, combing his hair in the mirror. He said it in front of everybody, in front of a massive crowd, and dared them to point one small thing that he ever did that was not pleasing to God, and they did not dare to bring anything against him. Amen? This is our Lord. This is our Savior. Praise his name. Amen? He said, I always do what is pleasing to God because he's like that fine flower. Every single aspect about his life, about his humanity, was pleasing to God. Now, this is really cool. Uh, Sister Gail gave me this book uh, written by McGee, Vernon McGee, great guy. So he, he, he says this. He says, notice how the men of the Bible, their life was not really that perfect symmetry. There has coarseness in, in some areas of their lives. Like, for example... Paul was a mental giant. He talked about justification and that amazing doctrine, and it's just hard to even understand what he's talking about. He's a mental giant, but he was weak in the body, you know? So it wasn't perfect. His humanity was not perfect. Jacob was a great man of God. Samuel was a great man of God. David were all great men of God who loved the Lord so dearly, but there were disastrous fathers in their personal life, right? None of them actually raised their kids in knowing God. It was a disaster as a father, each one of them. So as a man of God, they look great. But as a father, they're horrible, right? Their kids were so messed up. Because even these people who loved the Lord so dearly, they were not like that fine flower. Amen? They all had some courses and some hardness in one area or another. But there's only one person. Amen? Only one person. His name is Jesus. Amen? who perfectly lived a life that is perfect, complete, and sinless before God. So there was fine flour in that uh, meal offering, but there was also oil in that, olive oil in that uh, offering. Amen? Now, we read two things about the oil. We read that it can be poured out on the sacrifice. For example, verses 2 to 6, we see that it's poured out. But then in verses 4 and 7, we see that the oil is mixed with the flour. Amen? So the oil can be poured out. The oil can be mixed, right? And the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. We know that very well from multiple incidents in the scripture. But again, the, the interesting part is the oil is poured out and the oil is mixed in. And that's just a picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus. The oil was poured out on him. Anybody recall an incident when that happened during his baptism, right? The Holy Spirit came down on him, poured out on him. Amen. And how about his life and ministry? Everything he did, just right after his temptation, the Bible said that he came down over the mountain filled with the Holy Spirit. It's mixed in him. Amen? Peter said later on in the book of Acts about Jesus, how God has anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and 
power and he went about doing good and healed those all those who were oppressed by the enemy by the devil amen so the holy spirit was over jesus the holy spirit was in jesus mixed with him and every single aspect of his life just like that oil in the green offering amen number three there is a frank incense in that offering which is a perfume we'll read about that in songs 3 6. go check these verses later it talks about the uh, frankincense being a sweet-smelling perfume. And that's just a picture of how the life of Christ throughout, from the day he was born till the day he died, everything he did, again, everything he said, everything he thought about with a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Amen? Amen? So these are the three parts that compose the grain offering. Now let's move on to verses um, 2 and 3. This is interesting again. It's both God and the priest should feast on that meal offering. Amen? And that's precisely, isn't that a wonderful picture of Christ? Amen? He is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. God look at him and he just take pleasure in how he lived and how he died. Amen? And how about us? Don't we look at his life and look at his death and we just can feed on that, can feast on that, can eat that every single day of our life just to devour it and just to become more like him every single day. Amen? Amen. Jesus actually pointed that out in John chapter 6. He said, I am the bread of life. And then he said, unless you drink, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no eternal life. Amen? So it, we are commanded to feast on the humanity and the life of Christ and how he conducted his life and even how he died for us on the cross. It's, 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 we're, we're, we're commanded to do that. Amen? So verses 2 and 3, we see that God and man feast on that meal offering and so we do when it comes to jesus now note number five we see that this offering goes through fire in in, in multiple ways it can be baked in the oven verse four it can be uh, baked in a pan that's verse seven well f four oven five pan and first seven uh, frying pan anyways the point is this offering has to go through fire. Whatever the form is, not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal, but they all go through fire. Amen? And that's just a picture of how Christ, when he walked among us here on earth and was a perfect human being, through the suffering that he had, through the temptation and the heartache that he went through, through the fire of temptation, even more, he became more pleasing to God. Amen? Hebrews 5.8, one of these hardest verses, but it's a very good one. Hebrews 5.8, even though son he was, he, even though he was the son of God, eternally the son of God who became human for us, he did what? He learned obedience from what? From what he had suffered. It's through his suffering, through the fires that he went through, that he even became more and more and more pleasing to the Father. Amen. Verse 11, in Leviticus 2.11, we read this. No meal offering that you offer to the Lord should have leaven or honey. This is the two things that are prohibited in the meal offering. Amen? Let's talk about the leaven for a little bit. I don't know about you guys. I love this. I think it's great. Amen? Uh, let's talk about the leaven. The meal offering has no leaven in it. We talked about this before when we talked about Christ, our Passover, how... The Passover meal should have no leaven in it. You remember that as well? And do you remember why we said that? 
because the living in the scripture is always a picture, well, maybe one exception, but semi always a picture of sin. And that's why the meal offering should have no leaven in it. Where do we get that from? Multiple examples. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 to 8. Christ, our, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let us, um, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. What? Leaven of malice and wickedness. Because leaven is a picture of sin. But with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Do you see? Leaven, sin. Unleavened good. Amen? Galatians 5, 9. A little yeast works through the whole patch of dough. Bad thing, right? Like in that context, it's the bad thing. Matthew 16, 11 to 12. Now this is Jesus saying, how is it uh, you do not understand um, that I did speak to you concerning bread? Not concerning bread, but be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven of Pharisees and Sadducees. What is that? Arrogance, pride, you know, and then later on he talks about the leaven of Herod as well. So leaven is a picture always of sin, something that is not pleasing to God. Amen? One, exe one exception, one exception in the Bible, that would be Matthew 13, 33. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a lady who had a, a dough and she put a little bit of leaven in it and then it just blew everywhere. So he said that the kingdom of God is like that living growing up or you know, whatever, uh, doing the whole deal. That's the one exception. Some people spin it. I didn't see it, but I think that's the one exception where in the scripture, leaven does not speak of sin. But every, every other incident is to speak of sin. And that will give us an idea why God said that the meal offering should have no leaven in it because Christ was sinless, the perfect lamb of God. Amen? Amen. Number two, things that should not be in the offering is honey okay now why is that this is just some people thoughts um i didn't see scriptures to back it up so you're welcome to say it's not i don't buy it uh, i cannot blame you for it but honey is one of these things that has natural sweetness remember these uh sacrifices has to go through fire and if honey goes through fire i did not know that but it becomes sour it doesn't become sweet anymore it becomes sour I'm thinking that's why God prohibited honey from these uh, sacrifices because once it's baked, now it's not sweet anymore, it's sour, right? Uh, Harry Ironside said that this is just a picture of, you know, Christ who never changed his love. His love is steadfast regardless of going through fire or not going through fire. He is the same. He doesn't change. That's why honey, because it changed his nature, was not prohibited from being in, in the sacrifice. I think it's a great idea, great thought. But I didn't see any scripture to back it up. So you're welcome to say yes or no to that. Amen. So two things should not be in that sacrifice. But there is one thing that has to be there. God emphasized that in verse 13 three times, right? He said, don't forget the salt. Not just once, but three times. Don't you dare to forget the salt. Make sure you put the salt in. Amen. And God called the salt here the salt of the covenant of your God, right? which is a very interesting terminology. We'll talk about that in a second. But salt in the scripture in general is a representation of that work of righteousness, good works, righteous works. Where do we get that from? Multiple examples. Um, John, Matthew 5.13, what did Jesus say? You are the salt of the world. Obviously, he's not talking that we're white powder, right? He's saying that it's our conduct, it's our righteous um, life that we have before of Christ. This is the salt of the world. This is what preserves 
and keep this wicked world from going corrupt. Amen? Um, Colossians 4, 6. Here is what Paul said. Let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt. Obviously, he's not talking about literal salt, right? He's not going to talk to people and spray salt when you talk to them, all right? He's talking about when you talk salt, here is a representation of righteousness, good, God-pleasing righteousness. Amen? So that's why uh, the, the, the sacrifice has to be seasoned with salt multiple times. God emphasizes that because the idea here is Jesus was full of the righteousness that is pleasing to God throughout his life. Amen? But the Bible also called that the salt of the covenant, right? Have you ever heard of the salt of the covenant before? Okay, I heard of it before, but I wasn't really aware of what's going on. I had a, an idea, so I looked into it yesterday a little bit. By the way, there's a great website. All this stuff is, um, is noted, you guys, the references. If you have time and you want to study, you're welcome to go back uh, and look into all this stuff. But this is some good stuff. So uh, here's the thing. I did not know a lot of this information uh, up till yesterday. So the word salary that we have in English, look at this. The word salary come from an ancient word that actually means salt money, referring to the Roman soldier allowance to purchase salt in the, in the, in the ancient world, right? Uh, nowadays, salt is very easy to obtain because of how we advanced. But back then, salt was a commodity. You know, you, it's really hard to get. So when you have it, this is like really, really important, right? And it was a preservative. They didn't have fridges, you know, a couple of, hundred, a couple of thousand years ago. So the way to preserve food is through salting that food, right? So it was a commodity that people really appreciated back then, I guess. Today, in many Arab cultures, Brother Emmanuel, you might like uh, testify to that. Um, if two people partake in assault together, they sworn to protect one another, even if they were previously enemies. I know in Egypt, if, if the way I grew up, uh, if, if, if you feel shocked by somebody's behavior toward you and how unfriendly they are to you and you just you know took you by surprise how they're not acting right with you we have a very common idiom in Egypt we say how dare you do that we shared bread and salt together we this is a pretty common idiom up, up till today we say that all the time in Egypt how dare you treat me this wrong you know this way we shared bread and salt together so when you share salt with somebody that's like you know like I trust you you're my friend now you know um is that the same Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Sugar is salt. Wow. But for the, what do you call it? You take the, I don't know, it's salt for bone chips, whatever. Correct. But I remember when we were kids, when we were friends, and we took very little, what do you call it? Salt grains or? Okay. Interesting. The bottom line is salt is a big deal somewhere else, in, not in America, amen? Um, and even to the ancient world, in, ingesting salt was a way of making an agreement legally binding between two people. That's very interesting. We actually uh, read an example about that in, in, in the Bible in First Chronicles 3, 13, 5. So King uh, Abijah now is speaking, and he's not happy with Israel and how they're leaving uh, the house of David to assign another king for themselves. So here is what he says in Second Chronicles 13.5. He says, 
don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by what? A covenant of salt. You know, this is what uh, Abijah was saying. And here, the comments here is, Abijah is referring, referring to a strong, legally binding promise of God given to Israel that David and his son will be kings forever. Amen? Do you see the wording of, like, covenant of salt? So God is saying, when you make that uh, meal offering, make sure you put the salt of the covenant. Now, why is that, why is God particularly referring to the salt as the salt of the covenant in the meal offering? I think the only way to understand that is looking on Numbers 18, 19, the very last two lines in that paragraph. Numbers 18, 19. Here is what the word of God says, okay? All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you. Now, God is speaking to the Levites, the sons of Levi, the priests, and God say, whatever contributions the rest of the children of Israel, the, the 12 other tribes, right, present then I will give these contributions to you and your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. That will be your legal rights to have these contributions. And then he said, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. So God is saying, Levi, the children of Aaron, will have, Aaron and his children will have any contribution that the rest of the children of Israel give to the to God. And he said, God, God is saying, I'm making this covenant with you, and this is a covenant of soul. This is legally binding between God, between the Levites, that all the contributions will be theirs. Now remember in the meal offering, there is actually a participation between God and the Levites as well. They both share in that meal. I think, I think that the reason why they God said that salt is a salt of covenant in that meal, in the grain offering, is because God has already made a covenant with the children of Levi already that they will receive that contribution. So that's kind of a reference connecting these two together. That's just a thought. Amen. So it's a covenant of salt because apparently that's a legal, binding, amazing thing in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. Now, in Leviticus 2, 14 and 16, we're coming along, you guys, almost there. Um, 14 and 16, um, we have another aspect of the meal offering. This time is of that first fruit. This is not what you bake. This is not the olive or the, uh, or the flour. This is the first fruit. And then... God said, you bring the, uh, the, the seeds or whatever, the corn seed, you dry it, you roast it by fire, and then you put olive oil on it, uh, or the oil on it, and then you put um, the incense on it, and then you offer God some. And that is, um, again, uh, it speaks of Christ, of, of Jesus, as him, the one who passed through death, through the fire of death, because it was crushed. All these grains were crushed. So that represents how Jesus died for us and was crushed for us on the cross. But he has been raised again in the power of his, of his, of his endless life. He, he has gone up to the Father. So that's kind of like a picture. That's in my picture that we see here from that green offering. It's crushed like Jesus, but then it's offered to God afterward. So it's kind of like Jesus is crushed for us on the cross, and then he is presented to God. So just, you know, some thoughts here. Now let's close with this. Um, remember what we said last week? Um, Leviticus 1 to 7 talks about the five sacrifices. 
Leviticus 1 to Leviticus 5. Each chapter took on about one sacrifice. But then in chapter 6 and 7, God went back and he clarified some of the laws regarding these offerings again. Amen. So chapter 6 and 7 kind of like, you know, more laws regarding, regarding these sacrifices that already discussed from chapter 1 to chapter um to chapter 5. Now, if we go to Leviticus 6, 14 to 23, now we see more laws regarding that grain offering or, or, or that meal offering. And pre pretty much what we see there is that all the priests, pretty much all the priests, the priests are to participate in that meal offering and that grain offering. They all have to eat uh, from that grain offering, no distinction. If you're a priest, you have to eat of that grain offering. Amen. And that's the thing, the lesson that we want to uh, take out today from, from that green offering. Again, we talked about this before, that if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're born again, washed in the blood, the, John said in the book of Revelation that God has made us what? Kings and priests. So what Aaron and his children in the Old Testament represent is pretty much the New Testament church, right? We are a royal priesthood, amen? We are uh, priestly kings or something like that, amen? So we are all priests, and just like in the Old Testament, it was commanded by God that all the priests should participate in feeding and feasting on that meal offering. Amen? So you and, I, you and I are commanded, requested, and expected to feed and feast on Jesus, his life, his death, his ministry. Amen? Remember, he was the finest flower. We need to feed on that. How he lived that perfect and sinless life before God and try to imitate that. Amen? He was filled with oil, and that's the Holy Spirit on him. We need to feed and feast on that and try to be like him. Amen? And finally, he was, has this frankincense in him, that, that, that perfume that always smelled good to God. That's what we need to feed on, feast on, and just be like that. Amen? He went through fire, but he pleased God. That's what we need to be doing. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. We always give praise to him. Amen? Amen. This is what we commanded to do, to, to meditate and feast on that meal or grain offering. Amen? Amen? I hope you enjoy it because I am, and if you don't, it's too bad for you. Amen? <laughs> Let's close our eyes and pray.